that she would be mindful of us. What do you see that's worth looking our way? We are free in ways that we never should be. Sweet release from the grip of these chains. Like hinges straining from the weight, my heart no longer can keep from singing. with us Lord you know our hearts don't deserve your glory still you show a love we cannot afford like here's your straining from the weight my heart no from singing all that is within me Christ for you alone be glorified Emmanuel God with us my heart sings a brand new song the dead is paid he's changed Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary. But nevertheless, we lay this at your feet. Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary. But nevertheless, we lay Church, how are we doing today? You all got sunshine when you came in, so you, I think you picked a better service to come to. Um, I'm Kat Seidler, the Director of Adult Ministries here, and it's an absolute honor to have you joining us on this Sunday morning. Uh, whether you are here in the family room or joining us online, welcome. As we get things started this morning, if you would please stand, we're going to join our hearts together and pray the Lord's Prayer. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we are so thankful to be able to gather in this place to take a break from, from the world outside and just come and center our hearts, center our minds, and focus on you. So much goes on in this church, Father. It's absolutely incredible. And it seems like it was just a, a moment ago, even though it was Friday night, <laughs> that so much was going on in this church. So many lives were touched as we celebrated Night to Shine. 
And we ask a special blessing on everybody who came that night, from the volunteers, to the military, to the buddies, to the guests, all of them, that they carry that moment in their hearts for the rest of their lives, because it truly was an incredible moment where we were able to connect people to you. Father, we give up this time to you, and we do all of this in your son's holy, glorified, and precious name. Amen. Good morning. And we are so glad you guys are here with us this morning just to, to come together and just celebrate what, what God has done in our lives and what, uh, what he's going to continue to do. Um, before we, we jump into our time of worship, uh, I got a, um, a little piece of scripture I want to share with you guys. This comes out of uh, Isaiah 63, verse 7, and it says, I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going we're to talk about the, the great things that, that God has done for us um, and how he just, he loves us so, uh, so relentlessly and, uh, and that he just pursues us and his love is, is, always, uh, is always coming after us. And we, um, we just want to lift that up this morning. Y'all ready?
hill of Calvary My Savior bled for me And my Jesus set me free Yes, He did Look at the wounds that give me life Grace flowing from His side No greater sacrifice Would you sing it with me this morning? What He's done What He's done Oh, the glory and the honor to the Son My sins are forgiven My future is heaven I praise God For what He's done freedom he has won even death is dead and done his life is overcome oh speak speak say the name above all names over every broken place he is risen from the grave what he's Father's will complete. Yes, He reigns in victory. Oh, thank Jesus. Oh, sing hallelujah to the King. He is worthy to receive all the glory we bring. Come on, let's give Him the glory this morning. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah to the thank you for this moment and we just invite your presence here God with all of our hearts we thank you for who you are for loving us Jesus we love you oh how we love you you are the one our hearts Sing that again. Jesus. Jesus, we love. Come on, sing it to him this morning. Oh, how we love you. Oh, how we love you. Yes, we do. You are the Things have passed away 
your love has stayed the same your constant grace remains my cornerstone yes it is Jesus things that we thought were dead breathing in life oh come breathe your life again Lord you cause your sun to shine on my darkest night sing it with me Jesus we for your, um, just your grace and your love. I know that we're all at different places in our journey and our walk with you. Maybe some are here who are just struggling to even believe. And so, Lord, we just thank you that you love us right where we're at with no condemnation. But I pray that in this journey of loving you and being in relationship with you, that we would learn to... um, Set aside those things of our past that hold us back from really being in a, in a relationship, but also those walls and those barriers that we so often put up because we're afraid to really, really let go um, of some things that we're holding on to. And so I just pray that everyone here this morning would just sense that you uh, love us right where we're at, God. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your presence here. As Pastor Scott comes to deliver the, the message this morning, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds are open to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, we thank you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping before you're seated. Please turn around and find someone. I know some of you love this part and some of you do not. But please find a neighbor to welcome. If you're watching online, it's a great opportunity for you to go get something to drink or use the restroom and meet us right back here in just a minute. Grab your favorite pair of denim 
bruised up knees and faded blue. For two twenties in your pocket, kiss your mama at the door. Take a picture perfect postcard and send it out across the world. This is our Took me watching that video 20 times to get all cried out. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful, now beautiful, uh, Sunday morning. My name is Scott Marino, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you here in our family room or have you joining us online. Uh, it means the world to us that you would take time uh, to spend this morning with us. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. Source of life, tell them about Jesus. And so we just appreciate having this time with you. Um, that video is awesome, and it is just a small taste of what Friday night was like here at the church. It was absolutely amazing. So we had over 500 volunteers, many which stood out in the rain. All of that were 200 buddies. Are there buddies in here? Or are you guys all still in bed? You can just wave at us. There's a lot of buddies all around. Big, we, got, we bought every umbrella in the state of Florida. Um, it was just amazing. And here's the most important part. We had over 200 kings and queens. Yes. It just warms my heart. And I think what I would say to you as a church is, is thank you um, for allowing us to be a part of this ministry, to support this ministry. Um, it's a lot. I mean, I'll just, I'll just tell you, it's a lot. We've been talking about Night to Shine for many months, and you guys have given lots of, lots of your own personal money and donated a lot of your time, but I'm going to tell you it matters, and it's absolutely incredible. So thank you for allowing us to do that, and we look forward to just continuing to grow alongside this ministry and supporting our special needs community. Amen? So thank you for that. Um, you mind if I share with you one of those, one of those moments that happened behind the scenes that, all, that, that you'll never get to hear about any other time? Yeah, good. Okay, so here it is. Here's a Scott story. This will be shared as part of my eulogy at some point. So I'm just going to tell you. Um, so the crowning moment is like the most important moment of the night. And some of you that watched online, uh, you reached out to me and said, we didn't get to see the crowning. And what I would say to you is none of us did. And here's why. Um, so that moment really requires a few very important things. It requires the video. So, so Tim and his wife, Demi, are, are, they, they prepare the video. And at the end of it, they crown everybody. It requires um, a balloon drop confetti cannons, and then the crowns, right? So you just get those things together and you get all the timing right and it's absolutely perfect. So um, we have four confetti cannons. We put them all up here on the stage. We have the balloons tied to the ceiling. We ran the cables back to the top of the sound booth back there. And um, so then my responsibility was to get people into place that could, you know, know when exactly the right time was. So I went to Clint and I said, Clint, I need four of your best students 
to come up and run these confetti cannons. And I said, like, the litmus test is that they won't turn them and blow people in the face with the confetti. He's like, okay, I got it. It was shocking to me that most of them were girls. I'm just, just throwing that out there. So, so we get up here and I coach him and I said, here's your cue. When you see the balloons drop, that's your cue to set off the confetti cannons and just go have fun. They're like, we got it, no problem. So next was the balloon drop. That's like the big time cue, right? So I run over there and I get my two most trusted people in the world. Um, my administrative assistant, Vicki, and I get Kat, director of discipleship, the one that, that just did the welcome and I, we go up on the mezzanine. I said, okay, here's the deal. Can't miss it. Like, just listen to the video. You'll know uh, Tim's wife. They, they talk about Jesus for a while. And then his wife starts to talk about crown and tiaras. And, and, then, and then you'll just know. You'll, she goes, does he say like celebration? Or, or I, said, I said, just listen. There's, Kat, there's no way that you can miss the cue. She goes, okay, boss, we got it. So I run down the stairs. I come onto the stage and I'm up here. And, uh, and, and all the crowns and the tiaras are handed out to all the buddies. And the video starts and it's awesome. And Tim is talking about Jesus and there's like this beautiful ministry moment. And, and about a, oh, 45 seconds into a minute and a half video, I realize I can't hear the video. And so I look at Tammy who's in the sound booth and I give her my universal sign for turn it up, which is this. <laughs> and I look over the top of my thumb and I see Kat go, I got it. <laughs> and she pulls the string. Tim Tebow is talking about Jesus and leading a prayer and balloons fall from the ceiling and the high school students, bang, boom, they hit the cannons and confetti starts to shoot off all over. People start to scream. Here's the cherry on top. Your pastor plugged all of the confetti cannons into one breaker. Boom, blew the breaker out. Guess who was also in that breaker? The DJ. Total silence in the building. And Sammy, our MC, as if she had never missed a beat, starts singing, Sweet Caroline. <laughs> oh, dude. So this year, our kings and queens were crowned to Sweet Caroline. Just wanted you to know that. It was so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and so at some point, I need to send, send Tim an email and just apologize for, it was such an awesome gospel message, and we were celebrating and blowing off confetti right through the middle of it. Uh, ju just an incredible night. And to me, it's, it's probably my most favorite night of the year. But next year, and I always, I rent a tux, and then I wear dress shoes. I'll never wear dress shoes ever again. It'll be chucks from here on out, because my hamstrings are still cramping up from running all over this place. Um, okay. I'm going to gather myself because now we're going to get all the rest of it. So thank you for doing that. Here, here's the last thing that I would say. Um, so we do that. That's one huge night of the year. Um, we have a special needs ministry that meets here every single Sunday year round called Encircle Life Ministry. And what I would say to you is if, that, if you were here and you were a part of that ministry on, on Friday night and it really spoke to your heart, we need as many volunteers as we can get to help support that ministry year-round. We will train you. We'll prepare you. We need people just to be there. So if you're worried about your skill set, we'll coach you up. We'll get you ready. But we need help in that ministry because it's growing, and we're growing faster than the number of volunteers that we have. So catch us after service in the Next Steps room. We'll get you signed up. We'll get you trained, and we'll get you plugged in. Amen? So excited about that. And then um, two other announcements. Uh, uh, Valentine's Day, guys, if you don't know, is Tuesday night. Like, it's very important for you to know. Uh, the youth ministry wants to help you out. So they're doing a fundraiser for their, their Belize mission tri uh, trip coming up. And they will take your kindergartners through fifth graders from five to nine, and they will jack them up on sugar for all of that time. <laughs> so what I suggest is if you don't have a plan, just drop the kids off. And go home and sit in silence for four hours, right? Like, how much money would you pay for that? You would probably pay for a child to go to Belize. So um, you register for that, sign up. That's kindergarten through fifth grade. They'll take care of them, and it gives you a night and just an opportunity uh, to go out. And, and you're supporting uh, the missions here of the church. And last but not least, on the chair in front of you, two QR codes. The one on the left gives you all the exciting information of the things that are coming up and a way to connect. The one on the right is our giving QR code. Um, your giving allows us to do stuff like Night to Shine and so many other ways that we connect people to Jesus. So, so thank you for connecting those ways. So you guys ready to start a new series? So today, um, we start a new series that we are calling For the Love of God. Like, and I know some of you, you've heard your parents say that as they looked at you with disdain, like, for the love of God, what are you doing? Um, so as we were sermon series planning and getting ready, 
We knew we had the Joshua series, and then we knew the Easter series starts in two weeks, and that's, that series is called Amazing Grace, and it's awesome. I'm so excited about it. We had two weeks in the middle, and Clint and I talked about it, and we said, what are we going to do for two weeks? And, and what we decided to do was to take one of the attributes of God and to really start to unpack it. So really today, and this is not meant to scare you, it's to kind of bring you into what we're doing, is we're going to take two weeks to talk about the theological understanding of God's love. Now, if you hear the word theological and your eyes glaze over and you're like, boy, I chose the wrong church today. Um, Let me tell you that every time you think about God, every time you read scripture, you're doing theological work. You're building your foundation and your understanding. But we're gonna focus on one of the attributes of God, which is the love of God. Now, here's a warning that I have to give everybody when we do this. When you focus on one of the attributes of God, you have to realize that God has many attributes, and he's not a buffet line. Like, you don't just get to choose the attributes. God is beautiful, amazing, marvelous. And so the God of love, although we all just want to hold on to that one, is also the God that is holy, he's righteous, he's just, He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and so just know that when we focus on this one area, it's not to exclude the other areas, it's just for us to to dive down, to fill in the blanks, and really to, to educate ourselves and to build ourselves up so that we know what this means for us in our lives, and so I'm excited about going through this and studying it, and, um, and there's a lot of things we've learned from the legacy meetings about how you like to learn and how you like these sermons, and so we're just gonna lean into them and we're gonna go for it. So our text that we're gonna use is in 1 John, and we're gonna be looking at chapter four, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to those. If not, the scripture will be on the screen for you to follow along with. <clears throat> I get this question a lot. I'm going to be reading and studying from uh, the NRSV or the New Revised Standard Version. So if you want to open up your phones and dig out that version, you can go ahead and do that. But if we're going to study anywhere in the Bible, we always need the context. And for this sermon today about love, context is so important because who John writes to and maybe the heart around why he's writing gives us direct insight into why he writes it, and then we can take it and we can view our lives and what some of the parallels are to understand it. So let me give you some of the context that you need in order to understand this. So we're gonna be looking at um, 1 John, but biblical scholars believe that 1, 2, and 3 John were all written by the same person, which is known to us as the apostle or the disciple John. And you may say, John, the one that wrote the gospel of John? Yes. Also the one that on Easter we read about that runs faster than Peter. That's what he says about himself. He gets to the tomb first. He understands first. He also calls himself the one that Jesus loved, right? So that's the same John, same awesome John that we have. Um, But here's the point that I think carries into our message today. Jesus does something while he's on the cross that connects to John's life, that gives us some insight about what happens to him after the resurrection and the birth of the early church. So while Jesus is on the cross, and you may remember this, he looks at John and he looks at Mary and he says, mother, your son, and John, your mother. Because there was a responsibility for the oldest Jewish son, um, if there wasn't a father, to take care of his mother. And so Jesus gives that responsibility to John. So in the early church in Acts and in all of our studies start to take off, you don't see a lot about John because he's taking care of Mary that he's making sure that, he's, that she's okay, and so his life kind of takes a different, a different route, although he's still active and he's still doing the things that he needs to do. It's just a different chapter, a different part of his life. And so that kind of gives you that context of who we're talking about. Now, you may ask the question, who is John writing to in this letter? Um, John's writing to the church at Ephesus, and you may not know this, but it's believed that John, for a period of time, became the pastor and the church of Ephesus. And now I say that because now we're going to set up for you why this matters, how he got there, and to know the the context of the church of Ephesus because that really is meaningful for our text. Now, you guys like maps? And so here's your map. Oh, and by the way, I found out that my laser pointer is USB chargeable, so we're back on track, y'all. The lightsaber's working. For those of you who don't know, the lightsaber died in the middle of the service last week, and there was like this collective groan. We thought something special was lost. It's back. Uh, It's all good. So here's our map. Uh, Map of the Mediterranean. Um, You can see this is Paul's missionary journeys. Um, And so we're talking about John, but really John follows Paul in this. So here's Israel over here, Jerusalem down here in the corner. And so if if, uh, Jesus 
dies in 30 AD, 30, 31, 32, 33, somewhere in that time frame, um, Paul starts on his missionary journeys. And so Ephesus is right up here on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea in modern day Turkey. And, um, and John at some point follows him. But here's the story. So you can kind of see how the map, the map lays out. Um, here's Italy over here and Rome, which was the center of the world at the time, is where they were all hopefully heading at some point. That's where they wanted to get the gospel message to. But here's where Ephesus is um, right here in this area in relation to where they all started out. So let me give you the history of Ephesus. So you'll remember in Jesus died, resurrection took place 30, maybe somewhere in 33 A.D., in the early 50s is when Paul launches out across the Mediterranean Rim to go spread the gospel. And I think he goes into Ephesus on the first journey, but really the main focus is on the second journey. Around 54 AD, he goes into Ephesus, and you can find this in Acts 19, I believe is where the story is. He goes into Ephesus and he, Ephesus and he starts to share the gospel. And the people in Ephesus they just grab a hold of the gospel message with this amazing fervor. They get so excited about it that the gospel starts to spread through this whole community. So much so that there is this, this temple in Ephesus for the goddess Diana, and there are these artisans around the temple who sell trinkets to kind of uh, uh, memorialize her, that the gospel started to spread so much that they were losing business. People in Ephesus were not going to the temples any longer. They were going to hear the gospel message and to serve God. And so these artisans get frustrated. They, they, they start a riot. And Paul and his whole crew, they get drugged into the, the town square. And ultimately, the town magistrate comes in and settles everything out. And Paul leaves and he goes over to Corinth. But here's what you need to know. That early church in Ephesus took off like a rocket. Like, like you ever have those days where you're like, oh, I remember the good old days when this happened. That's what that church would have remembered, those beautiful, amazing, exciting moments where the Spirit of God were so real, and the power that Paul had brought through the gospel was just spreading like wildfire. So Paul continues on through his missionary journeys, um, and so from 50 on through time, at some point there were multiple pastors in Ephesus, but one of them you know the name of, which was Timothy. But somewhere along in the late 60s, early 70 A.D., John moves to Ephesus, possibly with Mary. If you've ever been over there on vacation or to visit, they will tell you that Mary was with him and they'll show you where they lived 100%. Maybe, maybe not, right? They don't know, but that's what they think. That's what, that's what history tells them. And so John moves to Ephesus. Could have been when Rome overthrows Jerusalem in 70 AD and all of the Christians and the Jews get pushed out. There's a great persecution. So possibly that was when he shows up. So John goes and he starts pastoring in the church at Ephesus. And so at this point, we're in the 70s. The church would have been about 20 years old, if so. So John starts pastoring and starts spreading and growing other churches around. Well, the emperor Domitian of the Roman Empire, he feels threatened by John, and so he locks him up and decides he's going to martyr John. And so he takes and he gets this boiling vat of oil, and they throw John into this boiling vat of oil, and guess what happens? Nothing. God protects him. He takes John out of the oil and decides, well, if that won't work, I'll just stick him on an island out in the middle of the Mediterranean and just let him stay there his whole life. And so he's sent out to the island of Patmos, and it's on the island of Patmos that that's where they believe that John wrote Revelations. And so that kind of gives you a picture of how that pulls into the biblical story. Well, at some point, a new emperor comes along, pardons John. John goes back to Ephesus somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s, and starts to write these epistles and starts to write these letters. And so just in your mind for context, Wrap your mind around this, a church that started in the 50s and now it was pastored by John for a little while, but now he comes back in, say, 90 AD. So do that quick math. That's a 40-year-old church, multiple generations, started off with a bang, has gone through ups and downs in different pastors. They've had false teachers that have come in. It's a church that's really struggling, trying to find their identity. False teachers have spread some other narratives that are challenging the church, and so that's the heart that the church finds itself with that John writes to. Does, is that helpful for everybody? So we read these words, that's the context that we're looking at. Now the last thing I'd like to say to you that I think will make a little bit more sense, and this will connect it and make it more relevant to us as we sit here today, that persecution was no longer the greatest threat to the church in Ephesus. The church wasn't going to be destroyed from the outside, but rather John realized the church's greatest danger 
was from within. Shifting beliefs, false teachings, the slide that takes place. Now, here's what I would tell you today in our modern world. In the mainline denominations, we see a seed change. Things, God is shaking the body of Christ up, and we see things shifting around, and hopefully where everybody will settle is, is anchored in the word and anchored in truth. But we see that happening, and so you can imagine as we read through this, some of the foundational truths, all the foundational truths, relate to us in our lives, and we think about where we've come from, what we've wrestled with, and what we see going forward. And so that kind of sets the stage for us um, as we go forward. So open up your Bibles or watch on the screen, and we'll dive into it. One last thing I wanted to say is that Paul, Paul, John, if I say Paul later, I mean John. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. John (laughs) writes John 1 as, not as a letter, so there's not an opening and a closing, it's a sermon. So some of the things that he writes, it's, it's hard, it's choppy to teach through. So today, you may hear me going through this at a thousand miles an hour and go, and just, just totally missed it. I'll come back at the end, we'll simplify it all, and, um, and give you some thoughts going, uh, going home. So here we go. He starts off, and we're going to read verses 7 and 8 first. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so you get to look at these first two verses, and the first thing he does is he starts off with this word, beloved. And so I think it's important for us to know that he's writing to the people that he knows, He's writing to those who are believers in the church, and so he's trying to address a challenge that's going on inside of the church. And so this message, if you're a believer, it's geared towards us, a deeper understanding and awareness of what God is doing. And so he's speaking to the beloved. And then he gives us the main point of everything that we're gonna be talking about. Let us love one another. So beloved church folks, let us love one another. Then he gives us the attribute of God. He does it at the, in the middle of verse 7 and then at the end of verse 8. He says, because love is from God, but he ends verse 8 by saying, for God is love. And so j- just to kind of bring you up to speed, he says, listen, church, God is love. Love comes from God. And so let us love one another. And then in the middle of that, he gives us this phrase. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. The word know is very important. In the Greek, it's this word gnosko. And I don't know if I'm saying that right, but say it fast and say it proud and keep moving. It's this word gnosko. It means to truly know, a deep abiding relationship. Now you can know somebody who works at a store and you may know them by their first name, but you truly know your family. You have relationship with them. You know who they are. You know their attributes. You're connected to them in a different way. That's the kind of knowing that John is referencing here in the scripture. And so he he pulls all of it together and he says, um, God is love and from God comes love. And so brothers and sisters, we should love one another. If you do, then you're clearly rooted in and you know God. If you don't, then you're not connected to the heart of God. That's verses seven and eight. And then we move on into verse nine. And it's almost as if he says, he finishes by saying God is love. Now let me tell you how we know that he's love. Verse nine, he says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so he says, here's how we know that God is love. He says that God sent his only son to this world so that we may have life. He's like, I just want you to know that God sent his son. A great sacrifice was made so that you could experience life. And then he goes on to say, but not because you love God first. It's not because of something that you earned or something that you did right or because you spent a whole week and you got it all right and so therefore God responded. No, it wasn't because of that. God did it because he wanted to set things right. So the word atonement, that's a big church word. But when you hear atonement or atoning, what I do in my mind is I I change the wording to think in this way, that God wanted to set things, he wanted to atone, but he wanted to set things at one. He wanted to go back and redesign or bring things back together in the original way that they were intended. And so God sending his son wasn't because of something great we did, but it was because of his desire to be reconnected back to our hearts to make it available so that we could be in relationship with him, to atone, to cover our sins. And God knew that it would take his son to do that. 
And so you can see him saying, this is how we know that God is love. Because God reached out and loved us. It wasn't because of us. It was because that's what he wanted to do. Verse 11, he says, beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. He reiterates the main point. Just like a good preacher, he throws it back out there again. And he does that multiple times through the verses. We should love one another. Verse 12, this one I love. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. So biblical scholars believe this phrase, no one has seen God, is, is John's way of dealing with the Gnostics or the people who were spreading false beliefs in the church in dealing with this theology that they had kind of twisted and added to the church. He says, I want you to know that no one has seen God. And what the Gnostics believed is that uh, material matter, human bodies, this world, they don't matter, that the only thing matters is the spirit. And so in their understanding of the faith, the incarnation would have never happened because God um, would never have put himself in human flesh because human flesh is corrupt and it's evil. And so there could have never been a resurrection, could have been none of those things because the Gnostics believe that only the spirit is the thing that's holy. And so we're here for a period of time and then we go back to those things that are good. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to reestablish truth. Now you may say, Scott, that kind of sounds good. It's tricky to our ears, but if we understand transformation, Paul's teaching on allowing um, our, not, our minds to be renewed, to be transformed into the image of, that happens here in our thinking, in our processing, in the way that we live. We don't just jettison the life of Christ for a completely separate belief. And so he's trying to clean it up, and he says, no one has ever seen God. But here's how he deals with it. He says, if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. We hear the word perfected, and we think perfect. That word in the Greek means to be rooted, to grow to transform. And so in essence, what he says is if the love of God is rooted in you, if it transforms you, if it changes you, changes you, yeah, no one may see, have, has seen God, but if the love of God is rooted in you, they can see God through you. So Paul's giving them a teaching of how the love of God transforms us and how we see it in the natural. And so he refutes that other belief system. And then verses 13 through 16, this is awesome. Uh, to me, this is John sharing his testimony. This is John as an as a 85, a, a, an 80-year-old man thinking back to his roots when he was 15 years of age and he witnessed this resurrection. This is him sharing the story. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. So you can imagine John saying, I, do you guys remember the stories of the day of Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit showed up, even your, your fathers or your grandfathers who were here when Paul came through Ephesus and they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that God's love is inside of us because we've seen the Spirit at work. Verse 14, he says, and we, and biblical scholars believe that this is John who was there and maybe there were others, not, not disciples because all the disciples were gone at this point, um, but other people that were maybe there during the time, and we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. This is John saying, guys, I was there. I, I was witness to Jesus on, on that day of resurrection. I was a part of it. I can testify to you that I know that the Father sent the Son, Jesus, into this world. And then 15, this is where he brings it all together. This is the gospel message. He says, God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. And so if you want to understand the gospel message, what he says is God abides in those who confess Jesus. Confess means to make a decision, to be a witness. That doesn't mean a, a choice, like a, a fickle choice that's made, a, a decision that changes your life. Why? Because you abide, because God is rooted inside of you. It starts to change and starts to transform you. That's how we know that we abide, because you've made a decision to allow that to be rooted in you. That may be a greater way to understand salvation and how God starts to change us in our lives. It's not just a simple decision that we make and then we go do whatever we want. The decision is to allow the love of God to start to change us so that we start to reflect more the image of God in our lives. And then verse 16, he says, so we have known and believe the love that God has for us. And so he's like, and so we know 100% that God did this and we know the love that God has for us. And so, so really 13 through 16, that's the testimony. That's him sharing the bigger story. The, the, the next part of, um, of verse 16, back to the attribute of God. He says, God is love. 
And those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Same message just repeated, setting up for the next section, which to me may, may be the most felt need for us today. This is where this message becomes personal. So John's basically going to say, how does this love, how does this gospel message, how does this, this God transform and change our lives? He says, um, verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. So let's unpack that for a second. That word perfection means to have something rooted in you, something that is growing and something that is transforming. He talks about a boldness and love casting out fear. And there's a verse right in the middle that pulls it all together. As he is, so are we in this world. On Friday night, the most powerful part of Night to Shine. And this is a message that Tim Tebow champions from the, from the mountaintops, is if you're a believer in Jesus, then you are a son or a daughter of the king, Amen. which makes you kings and queens. And here's what this verse means. It gives you a boldness in life when you enter into judgment because you are known by the king. You are not someone that's not known by the king. You are family. Your, his blood courses through your veins. It doesn't mean that you can, um, you can go in there and be cavalier. No, you give the king his proper respect. You can enter into that place. But it's not with fear because you have a relationship and you have a connection and because that king abides inside of your heart. And so when you think of fear and you think of love in that moment, it allows us to shape the way we feel about ourselves so much of our lives and our faith systems, some of the ones that I grew up and, and walked through, teach us more about guilt and shame than they ever do about the love of God. If we truly understood the way that God feels about us, regardless of the mistakes that we make in life, then we would adjust the way that we feel about ourselves and the way that we live into this world. That is such a powerful truth for us to understand, that perfect love drives out fear. And he says, and if you don't, then it hasn't done its work in perfecting you. If you're a new believer and you haven't got to that place, allow that love to inform your heart so that you can find yourself as a son or daughter of a king. It gives you the truth to recognize that. And so when you move on, verse 19, here's another truth that he gives us in the message. He says, we love because he first loved us. God didn't love us because we loved him. No, our love is a response to the love that God has shown us. In verse 20, this is one of those hard verses that I think are so powerful. Preachers love to read them and just let them sit right where they lay. But li listen to what he writes. He says, those who say, quote, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are what? Liars. You hear it, now you, can you imagine you're sitting there with John and you're watching John write this and you're like, John, what happened to all the love, John? Like, what are you, you're calling people liars. Do you know sometimes the loving thing to do is to tell someone that they're lying to themselves? Remember, the attributes of God. God is a just God. There's things that he doesn't want present in your life, and he'll start to work out. And so if you say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor, it's a marker for you that you've got to start working on that part of your life. He says, for those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen, or who they have seen cannot love a God whom they've not seen. Now, here's the challenge in this verse. People are hard to love, Amen. It can be difficult. And so this verse is something, he's not asking us to do something easy. This love is not just a simple emotion. It's not a Valentine's type of love. This is a love that is sacrificial, that is willing to give its life for someone else. That's what he's talking about. It was never intended to be easy. And then finally, verse 21 brings it back to the main point. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. And so he just brings it right back around to the main point. And so after going through all of that, if, you just, if it was so hard for you to kind of to follow along, and I'm going to tell you that's a lot, I'll boil it down and say this, that love is mentioned 26 times in 14 verses. So what do you think John is talking about? Love. He's talking about love. And so if, if you didn't hear anything else today, here's the two big main points that John is trying to make. The first, God is love. And the second if God is in you, if you're a believer, if God is, is transforming you, then guess who should love to? You. 
God is love, and if you're a believer, then you should reflect that love into the world. That's the basic core of, of this understanding, this theological message that he's trying to deliver. Now, I could stop right there and we could pray and go home, and some of you guys are like, yeah, let's do that, preacher. <laughs> and I thought about what, what do I want to add to it? What can I add? And you know what? God just spoke to me. He said, don't, don't. He said, just preach the sermon that John's already put in place. Because there are some questions from that. God is love and he's called us to love in the world that John answers. And, and so just, just follow me along with this. So, so if John says God is love and, and I want you to love, the first question is, well, how do you know that God is love? And we just went through it. He says, because God loved you. He sent his son that you might have life. Not because you got it right, not because you did something so awesome that it triggered God, but because God wanted to design and make it so that it was possible for you to be back connected to his heart. That's how you know God loves you. That God moved on your behalf even when you weren't lovable. And we've all been to that place, right? And some of us, I'm there today. So that's how we know that God is love because of God, how God responded to this world. So the second question, if that's the case, well, how do I connect? And he says, you got to know that the Holy Spirit has already been active in your life. Some of us, we were there. We saw Jesus. Guys, I know I was there when he came out of that grave and he came and he witnessed to us on that night. I saw him. And then he says, but, but if you want to connect and here's your gospel message, then open up your heart and allow that love to be, to be rooted into your life. So much so that it transforms you and changes the way you are in this world in light of how God has loved you. That's the gospel message, that God sent his son for you, and when you take and you believe that that's the expression of love for you, you take that sacrificial love, you make it a part of your life, and then it starts to change you, and we live that message out into the world. That's the way that you accept Christ into your heart. And then finally, you ask the question, so what does that do for me? How does it change me? I want you to know it transforms you. It removes guilt, shame, fear, allows us to see ourselves correctly in the eyes of God, because we are in this world as he was in this world. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's hard for us sometimes to say that, but if we've been transformed, you hope that when people look at you, they see the Father. And so let me close with this one thought. God is love. As believers, we love one another. As he was in this world, so are we. And so does this give us permission to be cocky and to be arrogant as sons and daughters of the king? No. What it does is it gives us permission to do what? To love. It gives us permission to love. And here's the next statement that will make you all just stop and think. And what did living a life of love get Jesus? Crucified. A lot of us, our faith systems teach us that if you believe in Jesus, everything is up and to the right. I want you to know that living a life of love is not an easy life. It means you're gonna to have to make choices that are very hard, very difficult, and oftentimes sacrificial. But that's the theological understanding of the love that God showed us. And so my hope and my prayer is that as a church, we can continue to love. One of the markers that, that we've heard in all these legacy meetings is that people say when they walk in this door, there's just something different about this place. No one can ever put a finger on it. And my hope and my prayer is that it's because you've allowed God to transform your life and you love people even though when they walk in the door, you're scared, you're nervous, you're not really sure who's here. This is the gospel, presenting it to the world. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And I just pray that, God, tonight we would allow our hearts to, this morning, not tonight, I'm still on Friday night, God, that we would allow this morning your Holy Spirit to really soften our hearts and Lord, I know that there are people here that have never truly just opened up and allowed you to, to just take root inside of them. And God, we ask that maybe today would be that day, that people would open up and avail themselves so that, Lord, that transformation can begin, that we see and understand that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We can't fully understand that. But Lord, it's a representation of how you reached out to us in our broken state. And so God, save us. Give us life as we lean into this truth of love. We love you, we trust you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now I invite you, if you will, to stand.
And Kyle's going to lead us in this, this final song. And if you're able, I encourage you to sing along with us. Um, Addie's down front. I'll be on this side. If there's something that we can pray with you about and the altars are open, we encourage you just to come down and spend some time in prayer this morning. Thank you so much. So as we leave this place, as we head out, I would just encourage each one of us, as we leave this place, whether we're going to the work or to the base, to school, to home, wherever we find ourselves this week, let's love our neighbor well and remember that you are amazingly, incredibly, deeply loved by the God who created you. If you're new here, if this is your first Sunday, join us in the Next Steps room, just right out in the lobby, we would love to connect you. Or if you're just looking for another way to, to grow deeper, uh, we'd love to talk to you there as well. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we know you love us. God, help us this week to lean into that truth, that you sacrificed for us to show your love for us. 
and that we are called to love those people around us. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a wonderful day.